Money Sense is brought to you by the Ellenbecker Investment Group, three-time recipient of the Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for Business Ethics and Integrity. The Ellenbecker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sun Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellen Becker. I'm the founder and the senior wealth advisor for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. And we're located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive. We're in that great big, beautiful town bank building. We're also in the village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank building, which is Kitty Corner from Winkies. And we have the great opportunity to service our clients in Bonita Springs, Florida, which of course is really nice in the midst of winter and cold air. Today, I have just actually a really fun show to do, something that I think is really important, um, particularly today when I opened up my text messages and I had this outrageous text message telling me that I had to call them and text them all this information because my Amazon account was being closed down and I couldn't ever get into Amazon again. They must have been able to track me somehow to know that I like Amazon, I guess. And um, and so I thought I was looking at this and I thought this is absolutely crazy. Today I have two guests. I have April DeVolcanair and I have Taylor Ellenbecker. And yes, it is an Ellenbecker last name. It's my granddaughter, Taylor. And Taylor is the IT support and project specialist for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. And April has her own company, which is really quite you know, interesting, protect your fortress. And she deals with this all the time. And not only is she a forensic financial um, crimes investigator, she's a consultant, she's a keynote speaker, she's a trainer, and she deals with all these different things that are happening in our world today that I find to be really um, disturbing, particularly when I get emails that appear to be so real. And, and, and I mean, I've sent, I can't tell you how many to Taylor to say, should I open this? Should I open this? And she sends back, no, don't open it. So welcome to the show, April. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to be here today. You know, I think that this has just become such a crazy world with all of the different things that we have before us. And some of the things that you sent me, I mean, they're crazy. Fishing, baiting, sounds like my grandson going fishing, pretexting, attachments with malware, um, spoofed phone calls, tailgating, water holing. I mean, these are all crazy terms. And yet, it's exactly what you deal with all the time. And before we dig right in, I guess I'm curious, how did you ever get interested or started in this area? Well, I have a wide variety of backgrounds. So I'm actually former law enforcement. I'm also, I've worked in the courts. I've worked in the financial institution, like banking system. I've worked in the accounting aspect of manufacturing companies and retail. And I essentially, I have a love of numbers. And my, my passion really has been able to dive into the numbers and be able to express those numbers in a, in a way that will make sense to people that don't love numbers. Um, <laughs> and so, I, you know, I do a great aspect of putting everything together and making it look visual and being able to share that with law enforcement or prosecutors and, 
and just trying to help them understand the crime that has occurred and how it happened so that they can get justice for the victims. Where would you like to start? Should we start just with all these different types of what you call social engineering? We certainly can. Uh, so first of all, I just want people to understand what social engineering is. And it's really the art of influencing people to disclose information that can be used to gain unauthorized access to a computer system, right? So essentially they're manipulating the user into giving up information they would not normally give up, okay? Uh, so part of that is they're going to, and when I say they, what I'm talking about is the criminal, right? A lot of people refer to them as the fraudsters or the scammers or what have you, but people really need to realize what they are are criminals. And they are essentially exploiting the human emotion, your, your, your greed, your empathy, your curiosity. Um, they're essentially trying to exploit those. And by doing that, they are doing it in a very sophisticated fashion in that uh, they do. They start with these phishing and baiting and pretexting different options um, that they use to essentially get that person's trust enough to give up the information that they want. And I'm guessing that it's all ages because I talked to one of my clients not long ago and he was in the midst of, of packing and doing all kinds of stuff and somebody called him and he gave all this information because he wasn't really thinking about what was happening. And he said, I couldn't believe I did it because under any other circumstance, I would have never fallen for that. And he gave all this information out. Absolutely. And, and that's really what they do is they... You know, they find that emotion, they realize that you're busy or you're engaged in something else, and they are going to do their best to manipulate you to get the information that they want. And they can use it. I mean, sometimes they, they do it just unwittingly, but other times they can use threats. They can use fear. They can use a sense of urgency. You know, it, it maybe in the, the example that you had just given, you know, he was packing or he was getting ready to move and maybe he was under the gun with regards to you know, timing, or he knew he was in a hurry to get something done. And so you're right, he maybe wouldn't normally have given up information. He's just like, I just need to get this done so I can move on to the next thing. And so he just gave it up, um, you know, and it, it's not intentional, right? It's just, you know, maybe it, maybe it was an Amazon um, notification <laughs> and he maybe has shipped something to his new address and he's trying to, you know, make sure he's getting that information to the right people and doesn't realize it's, it's the criminal behind the behind well, the scene. and the emotional side of it he was so embarrassed and and guilty and ashamed you know, he had shame attached to all of it I mean that's the other side of all of this stuff absolutely and that's why a lot of people don't come forward that's why they don't report it uh, because they are so embarrassed and in, under normal circumstances it's not something they would do and so to have to swallow your pride really and come forward and say hey look unintentionally, this is what I did is I gave out all this information that I really shouldn't have. Well, we hear the word and one of the first ones was phishing. Mm -hmm. What is that? Well, it's not your grandson phishing. It's not like, <laughs> putting a, you know, putting a worm on the, the hook and, and throwing it in the water, but it's, it's essentially the same thing, right? So it's these criminals who are reaching out um, and they are essentially trying to gather information by, you know, throwing out a little hook, right? So they're going to, uh, maybe they are trying to find somebody in particular. So maybe they're trying to reach out to Alan Becker or find out who has authority to write checks, right? So they might essentially start looking on your website and figure out, okay, well, who works there? 
and finding out who is in what position, right? So they're just gonna try to gather some information, um, whether it's a person or an individual. So it, you know, it could be on like your website or maybe it's somebody that's trying to sell something on Facebook Marketplace, you know? Um, and then once they find out what it is that you have that maybe they, they want or whatever, they, um, they're gonna try to start following you or they're gonna try to start friending you, you know, on these different social media sites to just try to get more information about who you are. And if your social media aspects are on public where everybody can see everything, that is not great. <laughs> so that they, that's really, an, you know, it's open game for them. <laughs> I have found that it is super, super common for our new employees to receive these phishing emails. They will get those first emails, the first two weeks that they start, about the founder or the president of the company asking for account numbers or money sent to them or to go buy gift cards. And it's just never true. It's really and, kind of scary that they can get so much information. And the other day we were watching um, football, the Packers playing, and we started talking about some of the old players and we went on the internet and looked them up and said, and how much money do they have now? I mean, there was so much information about this, these players. I was astounded as to what people can really find out about you. Absolutely. And that's why I actually, that's how they find the new employees, right? So people are so excited to, to have a new job or start a new position. They're going to post it on LinkedIn or they're going to post it on Facebook or they're going to post it somewhere. And these criminals are going to find that and they're going to exploit it, right? Because if they're, this is a new employee and they're super excited and they, they really want to do well, you know, if they think that the founder of the company has just come to them and asked them to do something, they're going to feel really important and they're not going to want to screw it up. So they're just going to do it, you know, and maybe don't realize what policies and procedures are in place in order to make sure that those checks and balances are, are occurring and they're actually, those security issues are actually um, happening. So when, well, I have to ask you one more, watering holing, <laughs> water holing. And I see, is that just, what is that? What, what are they doing there? So it's essentially when people, they let their guard down, right? So water holing, it's, it, it comes kind of from the older term, like you would stand around the, the waterfront and you'd have a conversation, right? So essentially yes. water holing is people that are trying to identify or look identifiable to you. So essentially, as an example, um, if they go on your Facebook and see that you have children that play a particular sport, whether it's baseball or soccer or whatever the case may be, um, they may, the criminal may not have any children in, in a sport, but they might actually start going to those like sporting events or their sporting tournaments and just kind of show their face. And then later on, you know, if they're trying to, you know, create credibility, they're going to say, oh, hey, well, I saw you at this, you know, this sporting event um, last Saturday, you know, and they're going to essentially identify you at an event that you know you were at, right? So like they're trying to create credibility um, that they've, you've seen them before, you know who they are because they have information that they've either seen online or they actually physically went to try to gain your confidence. I actually just read an article literally this morning talking about, um, pig butchering. They call us pigs and then they fatten us up quote unquote, <laughs> and then take us to the slaughter, meaning like stealing your information. I think that goes hand in hand with um, one of the other ones that you have listed under here for social engineering. And that's like pretexting, like kind of reaching out to somebody ahead of time 
and then building that rapport with somebody and then coming back and asking them for like cryptocurrency information or something like that. Right. They're asking for the crypto wallets or that type of thing. Absolutely. Um, The pig butchering, they actually, that's a little bit more in depth in that because it does have to deal with investments. Really what they're doing there is they're encouraging you to invest. Right. And so what does everybody want when they make an investment? They want to see a return. So essentially they're going to give you money back. So you see a return, right? Like you're seeing this investment and then you're, you're going to want to invest more because you got such a great return so quickly. And so that's where uh, she was talking about, you know, they kind of fatten you up to, to really invest more. So what happens is then you're investing more and more and more. And then once you try to get it out, try to take your money out is really where they get you. And they're like, oh, well, you have to wait a certain amount of time or you have to pay these fees or you have to do all these different things before they just essentially shut you down and they slaughter you up because they, you're really getting none of that money back because it's all gone. Um, isn't so- Isn't it really common on like, it's very common on dating sites, people who are in like vulnerable areas who are looking for love and they find love in France or wherever, and all of a sudden they need help or that type of thing. People in really vulnerable spots who have their emotions tied to it. Right. It, that is primarily the issue um, is when they are vulnerably invested in the relationship. I know that you do some work with elder care. I've also seen in your articles that you talked about uh, white collar crime, which I'd like to go into and explain, you know, it sounds like that's a little bit what this is and the criminal analysis that you do for that. Aging parents, I think you talked about college students uh, with financial scams. So those are all things that I know that my listeners are dealing with all the time with having kids and elderly parents. And so we'll take a quick break and we will be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I'm the founder and the senior wealth advisor. And as I said earlier, we have three locations. We have one in Pewaukee, one in Whitefish Bay, and we have one in Bonita Springs, Florida. And if you'd like to put a face with a voice, if you would like to know more about Ellenbecker, if you would like to share today's taping, um, you can do that by going to ellenbecker.com for more details. My guest today is April DeVolcanier, and she is the um, president of Fortress Financial, and um, they provide education for businesses such as ours, for people who are dealing with the public and are really trying to learn how to keep their them themselves safe, how to keep their family safe, how to keep their business safe, and to better understand some of these quirky things that really are, I, I find that I am getting things all the time, either in my email, by my text, and I'll, you know, I have yet to have one that has been legitimate. And I think the importance of it is, is you just, just can't even open it. I mean, you can't even get curious enough to open it. So April, could you just talk a little bit more about what the things that we've been talking about are, is that really what you would consider white collar crime? It's a very small portion of it. So white collar crime is actually identified as any felony financial crime. So um, in Wisconsin, a felony is anything over $2,500. And so, but they can range from $2,500 to millions. Um, And so it really depends. It could be anywhere within that, but it's anything financially related. So theft, embezzlement, theft by contractor, um, 
elder financial exploitation, it's money laundering, you know, just all sorts of different things, card cracking and theft by fraud, theft by trustee, theft by power of attorney. Um, all of those are included in white collar crime. Boy, that is that is a big mouthful of things that that you're actually looking at. Let's why don't we break it up and talk about business first. What are some of the things that you recommend um, for business owners out there to really be aware of? Certainly. So for business owners, one of the primary things they have to realize is that when they have a business financial account, it the regulations associated with that account, they only have 24 hours in order to notify a financial institution, like if there's something wrong with their, their banking account. So really somebody needs to be looking at that every day. And if your company still uses checks in any fashion, you really need to work with your financial institution to potentially be using positive pay, which essentially will allow um, you give a list of the checks that you've cut. So how much they are, who they're assigned to, who signed the checks, that type of thing. You, you provide that to your financial institution. And when those checks actually come into the financial institution to be cashed or, or um, you know, got reviewed, then it has to match what you gave them verbatim. It has to match. If there's any difference, then the financial institution is required then to uh, reach out to the business and verify whether or not the check is authorized or not, because there's a lot of check fraud and check washing and stuff that's going on because there's so much mail theft currently. So I'm not sure if you guys had heard before the holidays, actually the United States Postal Service was asking people not to use blue boxes to mail their um, gifts and such through the mail, especially if they were mailing checks or gift cards to family members, because there's so much mail that's being stolen. And what's happening is those criminals are actually stealing those checks and then what they call washing them. It's they're changing the payee or pay the amount and then cashing them at a, a, a different financial institution. So and once that, that money's once once the money's gone, it's gone, right? Typically, yes, yes. And so if you can stop it beforehand by using a, something like a positive pay with your financial institution, that's really huge. The other thing is just being prepared for any type of cyber attack, whether that's ransomware or malware or, or anything. Um, you know, there's always the human aspect of an employee accidentally clicks on a link that they shouldn't have and now maybe has allowed somebody into your network. So you really have to work with your IT professionals to make sure that you have security measures in place and you have aspects to train them in advance of actually, you know, accidentally clicking on a link. They know what to do if something like that happens. And that just recently happened to me. We had to call, Taylor had to call our company because all of a sudden this thing kept coming up. You have to click on here to clean this because you've got all these viruses. And I couldn't get it off the face of my computer to be doing my work. And so I called the office and Taylor got it off, but it was totally, was it ransomware, Taylor? No, it was, it was, it was a Chrome um pop-up like it was a chrome pop-up notification that just would not leave her alone so we just had to block it or whatever but she yeah she didn't click on any links she handled it perfectly well <laughs> um but yeah quite annoying like five notifications every minute <laughs> correct well and some of them have what people call you know the blue screen of death or something else that will pop up and it has a phone number and it says to clean this off you have to call this phone number and then you'll actually get a criminal who's saying, oh, I'm from Microsoft and I'm going to help you try to clean your computer. But it's really the scammer, the criminal who's trying to get you to pay them to clean off your computer, which really all you're doing is giving them your, your banking information. And access to your computer. 
Correct, because then they get remote access and then sometimes they can access your financials, especially if you save your passwords. Um, they can actually do that right on the screen and you're, all you can do is watch them do it because you've given them remote access to your computer. Oh. <laughs> when you talk about um, some of the things that happen with aging parents, what are some of the things that people should be aware of? That's a loaded question, Karen. <laughs> I know. There's a lot to prepare for, truthfully. Um, I think first and foremost is helping your parents have those difficult conversations while they still have the capacity to make those decisions. Um, and in doing so, making sure that they have signed somebody a fiduciary responsibility, um, and whether that's through a trust, a guardianship, a, a power of attorney, whatever the case may be, um, but also making sure that there's a backup person. Um, and if they're identifying someone as that fiduciary responsibility, putting in those documents somewhere that indicates that either the principal, meaning yourself, or you know someone else has the authority to request what's called an accounting of those fiduciary assets that of, of you, right? So essentially, if you allow somebody to be your power of attorney and you say, okay, um, you know, Jane Smith is going to be my power of attorney. And every six months, she has to give me an accounting of what she's done with any of my assets, right? So she's got to give you an accounting of the checkbook or what have you, um, any sales or transactions of real estate property, what have you. But then essentially identifying someone else. So if you are the principal and you begin to show signs of dementia, you can no longer necessarily make the, the decision um, you don't have the capacity to make the decisions anymore to maybe add somebody else on at that point. But if you've already identified, hey, I'm going to have um, the agent actually have to show my brother now or whoever else you decide to add, they have to show that accounting to him because I may not understand what they're trying to tell me anymore, but now he can take a look at it just to make sure that there's no impropriety of, of funds or you know elimination of assets that really shouldn't be. Because a lot of times what happens is, is nobody realizes that the funds are being spent until they're gone. And if you're trying to retain assets to essentially maybe go into an assisted living or some other retirement community, and you no longer have the funds to do so, that's not the time you want to find out that your funds are gone. I read about a year or two ago that elderly abuse is just rampant and on the financial end of it. And when you talk about a vulnerable population, I had heard that people even look to look at the death notices to know whose spouse has passed. And then they try to contact those people, the people, the remaining, the remainder spouse. And that is such a vulnerable time. It absolutely is. And that's actually part of why you want to have some type of documentation in place ahead of time, right? So in addition to having those documents, the, the power of attorney and those types of fiduciary responsibilities, you also have to have a packet that both people know about, right? So you need to know what assets are out there, what debts are out there, what do they need to acquire or access the information, the account numbers, what have you. Um, because we've actually seen this situation where it was a, a husband and wife and the husband passed away and the wife typically was not the one doing the bills, right? So the husband had usually taken care of that. And then when he passed, um, you know, she had to learn essentially how to take care of this and what came when, what was the timing of each of the bills, you know, during the month. And really what happened is, is some of the bills were in her name and some of the bills were in his name, but she didn't realize that. And so one of those criminals, like you had indicated, had seen an obituary 
and actually changed the address of just the decedent, meaning the husband, but left the wife's um, address intact. And so he actually had the, the decedent's address changed to Florida. And so he started sending um, some of the bills and some of the um, other credit cards he had started opening in the decedent's name to Florida. So the wife never even knew because they weren't even coming to the house. Um, but in reality, the reason they had done it is because they were trying to access the life insurance um, that was hoping to be sent to the living uh, spouse. Wow. And so they do it and they do it a lot. That's actually why a lot of people are suggesting now that you don't identify all the different people um, in an obituary, like all the different family members, because criminals are actually using that information against them. That's crazy. My guest today is April DeVolcadier, and she is the president and owner of Fortress Financial Education. She is also going to give us um, some more tips. We've got to look at college students, which is another, um, another big issue out there. So with that, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. My two guests today are April DeVulcanier, and she is the owner of Fortress Financial Education, where she really deals um, with the forensic financial crime. She's an investigator, a consultant. She does keynote speaking and training for companies so that they really can put in place many of the opportunities opportunities that they have to position their company so that they really don't have these crimes committed against their not only themselves but their employees and uh, my other guest is taylor ellenbecker she's my granddaughter and she is the liaison between our cybersecurity company she's also our it specialist and one of the things april that would be good to talk about too is that we had said college students and scams that they have and also it's just a really hassle with all these passwords and so often people haven't made a list of their passwords and a spouse dies and the the remaining spouse cannot get into anything and that's a hassle but just as important how do we keep people out when when we don't want them to have our password Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so really what you need to do is you need to make complex passwords. Um, the, the theory is you want to create a story method, something that has you know two or three different words in it that you can combine together um, using acronyms. You could do that. You could um, you know base it off a specific event, location, something that you're going to remember, but nobody else may. Um, but really the other key thing is, is using a variety of information. So you want not just alphanumeric or not just numeric, right? You want numbers, you want letters, you want uppercase, you want lowercase, you want symbols, you want all of that. Um, The statistics actually show that if you even have an 11 character password, if it's all numbers, the criminals can get in instantly, even though it's longer, right? If you have uppercase, lowercase, and numbers, it's going to take them about three years But if you also include at least one symbol in that 11 character password, it's gonna take them upwards of 34 years. So there's this whole uh, statistics that they give you and it's based on uh, passwords anywhere from four to 18 characters. The really, the key is, is you want all the different pieces, numbers, letters, uppercase, lowercase, and symbols, and you want at least 11 characters, um, preferably more. To help keep those criminals out. 
but it's so hard, particularly for um, elderly people to be able to continuously change these or even track them. And so you had mentioned earlier that if you have your passwords in the computer, that's not a good thing. So where should you keep your passwords? So one good thing or possibility is with your important financial documentation or whatever, actually have a list of them. So you would actually type out your usernames potentially, but then handwrite your passwords next to them and keep that with your important documents, whether that's in your safe in your house or in your safe to deposit box or wherever it is that you're going to keep your important documents so that they're not necessarily on your computer. Even if you choose to put them on your computer, first of all, if you get locked out, you're not going to be able to get them. Um, but second of all, you know, if you name it passwords, they're going to find that that file on your computer and they're going to have all your passwords instead of just one. So you really don't want to do that. But essentially you want it somewhere with your important documents, you know, maybe in life insurance papers or something so that when people go to try to access, you know, at that very vulnerable time when they're not thinking clearly, at least it's right there in front of them. Something that we implemented a few months ago, actually it's been a little bit longer than that, is um, a password manager for all of our employees. So training was a very difficult thing because it's a new it's a new thing for everybody. So that was quite difficult. But now it just makes it so seamless that people don't have to remember any of their passwords. You can have 20 character passwords with all special characters, all numbers, very, very very complicated passwords, but you only have to remember the one for the um, the password manager. You kind of want to use a passphrase. So instead of like, um, I love dogs, one, two, three, which people actually do have that as their password, you want to do a whole sentence and make mm -hmm. it a little bit easier. So now you only have to remember that one sentence and then you have access to every single one of your passwords. The nice thing about the password manager also is it autofills things for you. So Whereas like Chrome autofills your passwords, how most people do it. Now this will autofill your passwords, but in a safer way, because it's in a completely different thing outside of your browser. Well, right. and on and your phone, on your phone, it says, do you want me to save this password for you? No, never, she's shaking never her head. No. <laughs> never, never. And, and truthfully, uh, what Taylor was talking about is it is safer because it's encrypted. That's really the, the key is that encryption um, that is provided by the password manager. So if you have that available to you or you can set that up or help an older adult set that up, that's really key um, because they really would only have to know one password and it would log them into whatever it is that they need. Yeah, we also have it where we have the two-factor authentication in, in before it. Um, so all employees are required to do the two-factor. Um, I know I spent, I did about two different lunch and learns training everybody on how to use this, but for none of us, we scheduled an entire day where we sat down, changed every single one of her 3 million passwords to be a more <laughs> secure password. She bought me lunch. It was fantastic. But we sat down for an entire work day and did every single password. And now she's a pro at it. Once in a while, she'll call me with a couple of questions, but she, she's a pro at it. And it, it is a lot more secure than it used to be for sure. Well, it's a scary thing to think that somebody can get into any of your accounts and and literally do anything and just the nightmare of trying to unravel that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that and that's the scary part is because it takes a few seconds for somebody to potentially get access to your information, your identity, whatever the case may be, but it could take you 
hours, days, weeks, months to try to climb out if somebody's actually stolen your identity and or created accounts, uh, you know, bank accounts, credit card accounts, whatever in your name. It, it's going to take a long time to try to clean that up. Well, and money to hire somebody to clean that up for you. I know um, I've had, I had somebody who recently went through a situation where they got their information stolen from them and their accounts hacked. And mind you, if somebody gets one password of yours, most likely, like I would say most people share the same password for a lot of different accounts. So they grab one of those passwords, you're done for all of your accounts. And that is a super unsafe thing to do. But somebody close to me just got their information stolen. And although it was pretty minimal, I would say, it still took us about three weeks to remedy the situation. And we're still working on ordering new computers and getting different security on it. Because it's not only scary, but it's it's violating. It's like the most violating feeling. It's It's a very frightening fear. My guest today is April DeValadier, and she is the president of Fortress Financial Education. If you would like to ring her up to get some information yourself, you can go to 262-278-0325. And you can also go to protectyourfortress.com to get additional information. And of course, you can always go back into ellenbecker.com, into Money Sense Radio Shows, and this show will be on the air. And you can either share it or you can listen to it again. And with that, we're going to take a quick break, and we will get back uh, first thing when we come back to talk about what to do with college students. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I'm the founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. Please do go to ellenbecker.com to acquaint yourself better with us and to listen to some of the past shows and um, to just get to put a voice and a face together. My two guests today are Taylor Ellenbecker, my granddaughter, who is our IT specialist at the Ellen Becker Investment Group. And she's really the liaison between our cybersecurity company, which is really important for us. And also April DeValconeer, when she is the president of Fortress Financial Educator, and she provides education on so many topics that I've asked her to talk a little bit about that when we are done talking about the um, students, college students, and parents are always worrying about their kids. And it's so hard, I think, in this day and age to know all the different things that you need to know about kids going off to college. And one of the things I think is important that you mentioned earlier, and I always throw this in, is making sure that your kids, if they're over 18, have powers of attorney for health care and for finances in place, because you can't make decisions for them once once they're of the age of 18. Even though you get the college bills, you you don't have any any ability to really make decisions for them. That is accurate. And a lot of people don't realize that. And so they send their, their children off to college. And obviously at that point, they're not children, they're adults. And that's the whole point. You know, if one of them steps off the curb and God forbid gets hit by a bus and they're okay, but they're unconscious, the parents don't get to say what happens to them. Or if they do, the problem is, is, you know, maybe one parent wants one thing, mom wants one thing and dad wants another thing. And if they can't agree, they don't have to wait for the courts to make that decision if a power of attorney is not in place. Um, so it, it is very important to have powers of attorney in place for your children as soon as they turn 18. Uh, mine were very lucky. My daughter signed her power of attorney the day she turned 18. 
Uh, my son, he got an extra week because I had to find a notary because I couldn't notarize it for him. Um, so <laughs> it, extremely important. important. Yes, absolutely. Um, some of the other things that college students need to be prepared for, and not only college students, but their parents, especially because when you start financial accounts and you're trying to teach these young adults about money and how to manage their money, right? So they have their own banking accounts. Well, sometimes you start those in high school, maybe, um, and maybe they're a co-owner or an agent on an account where their parents are also responsible. And really, one of the biggest things that are hitting our students right now is what's called card cracking. And so it's the criminals are actually offering up on social media they're asking for students to come forward with bank account information, right? So they're gonna, the criminals are gonna post something saying, hey, do you have an open account at whatever bank or whatever credit union? And they're gonna say, if you do, um, you know, I'm gonna get to you some quick cash. And they will essentially convince that young adult to give up their banking information. Sometimes it's just the debit card number. Sometimes it's a checking account number. Sometimes it's the pin number for the debit card. Um, but essentially what they're doing is they're giving that criminal information that they need to access the online banking of that student. And then what happens is they actually take fraudulent checks and they deposit it into the student's account. Say it's a $2,500 check and they will tell the student, hey, look, um, you know, we just need to deposit this account. You know, my, I can't get a checking account for whatever reason. They'll give them some story. But essentially they're like, we need you to then turn around and demo us or, or you know, zell us the money back but you get to keep like $150 for your, you know, your trouble. Um, so the student keeps a little bit of money and then this criminal takes this money. What they don't realize is in the banking industry, it takes a couple of days for a check to clear. And most young people don't even know what a check is because they use mobile deposit or they use the apps on their phone and they don't actually write checks. So what happens is, is that check comes back as fraudulent or, you know, insufficient funds or whatever the case may be. And now the financial institution is going to take that money back out of their bank account. And if they don't have it, that student is now responsible for that full $2,500 because the check was not good. And if the parents are on that account, they are also responsible for those funds. And what students don't realize is that because they kept a portion of that money, meaning $150, um, they can actually now be charged with a crime because they're a party to the crime because they essentially helped the criminal facilitate the the money laundering essentially um it'll usually get charged as a theft but that's that's a crime and depending on the dollar amount that could be a misdemeanor or a felony and so we really want students to be aware that these criminals are out there and they're trying to get these young people who are not familiar enough with the financial institutions to offer them free money quick money um but it's really at the cost of potentially being convicted of a felony you know i actually recently this year had a friend who signed up for one of those dog walking services and it, what you're explaining is pretty much similar to the exact situation that he went through and he wanted to make some extra money walking dogs and somebody offered him like hey I want you to um, I think it was like house sit for my dog for three days a week and I'll pay you like $2,500 or something crazy like that. And then they deposit it into your account without even meeting you and then say that you have to send it back. It's very similar. So not only with college students, but dog walking companies, which I find extremely weird. <laughs> Actually, it's also with uh, job seekers. So there are people that are out there that are looking for new jobs and they're out on different websites. You know, they think they're, they're looking at a valid job application or a job 
um, position. And these fraudsters or these criminals will actually offer them a job saying, hey, look, yep, we want you for our company. They're going to give them the actual website of the company so it looks valid. And they're going to say, hey, yeah, we want to bring you on as this position. This is what we want to pay you. We need your banking credentials so we can set up your online uh, or your direct deposit. And so what do you do, right? You want to get paid for this new job you're going to acquire. And so you provide your financial institution information and nothing ever happens that you don't actually have a new job and you just gave all your financials out to um, uh, out to the criminals, really. Well, and I'm sure uh, that's happening a lot more now that people are looking for work at home positions, the ones where you only have to do Zoom interviews and you don't actually ever have to meet or like see somebody face to face. You can do everything over the phone. I'm sure that's a lot more common now after COVID and everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and really the, the piece of the card cracking I wanted to mention is that when people are, the reason they call it card cracking is because sometimes when they give up their debit card information, they're actually giving them the PIN as well. And so that really should be a red flag for these students, um, or at least a conversation starter with the parents of the students is to make sure you're never giving that PIN number out to anybody, even if they say that they're from the financial or what have you, because with that PIN number, they can now access the ATM machines for, to try to get withdrawals out of your account. That's usually how they take the money out. Once they've deposited that check into your account, they use your PIN number to take it out of an ATM. Um, but they can also then access your mobile deposits and that type of thing. And so you really have to be cautious of that. We've only, I'm just looking here, we've only got about two and a half minutes left. What are some of the things that you would want my listeners to be aware of? Um, one other thing I just wanted to make sure I mentioned here with regards to students um, is that right now there is a significant number of students that are here on student visas. So they're here from another country and they may have immigration concerns or, you know, they're here on a visa and they really don't know what all the rules are. And the fraudsters or the criminals are actually taking very much advantage of that. And so we want to make sure that you are aware of the fact that, um, you know, nobody should be asking you for your visa information, your copies of your passports, because they're all they're really trying to do is tell them that they owe money or they have to pay money to stay here in the States. And if a student comes across that in, uh, scenario, they really need to reach out to their university and make sure that they are um, set and, and safe where they are and make sure that they're not paying those ransoms from the fraudster to the criminals. Essentially, what you're saying is, is foreign students are coming over and mm -hmm. people are tricking them to give away their information? They're actually tricking them to make payments. So essentially what's happening is they're, they're studying abroad, but they're studying here. They're studying abroad from their, their original country, right? So there's somebody who's coming over here from France or, or Spain or Sweden or whatever. They're coming to the U.S. to study abroad. And what's happening is the criminals are actually reaching out to them and saying, okay, well, your semester ends in May, because that's usually when college semesters end, but your visa is only good till March. So in order for you to stay in the country for the, the last two months of your study abroad, you have to pay us $20,000. Otherwise, we are going to have you deported, or we are going to have, you know, we're going to put you into jail because you can't pay this, and then you're going to sit in jail for months before you get deported. And so they're really using scare tactics in order to get these people to pay up. And sometimes they don't understand. They don't understand that this is a criminal act and they don't understand that they don't have to pay these fees because everything's been worked out with the university or their study abroad. Right. Um, but, and so it, it is very prominent in 
um, a lot of the Asian students that are coming over, but it's really all of them. We we just had a, another one, which is why I came up with the 20,000, because that's how much they essentially were trying to get out of this young man um, it, from the center of the U.S. I believe it was Oklahoma. But, it, you know, it's just they're doing it here, too. That's the problem is it's it's all over the country and they're just exploiting these families. And so the students are getting upset and they're actually reaching out to their families and saying, hey, look, they're going to put me in jail if you don't give me whatever, $5,000, $10,000, to get me through the last couple of months before you know I come home. And so it's really important that these students realize that they need to go to their campus police or their student unions or, or whomever is setting up their sort of study abroad to make sure that they are sharing with them, hey, look, this is what I received. How do I deal with this? What do I do with it? Um, because there are federal agencies that are looking into this, um, specifically Homeland Security. And so we want to make sure that the students are aware that, you know, they don't need to be paying these, these dollar amounts to stay in the country. If they're here legally on a legal student visa, they shouldn't be paying this money out. My guest today is April DeVolcadere, and she is the president of Fortress Financial Educator. You can reach her at 262-278-0325, or you can go to protectyourfortress.com. My other guest is Taylor Ellen Becker. Thank you both. And I know we're going to do more of these shows because it's a forever, ever-changing um, area, and it's a pretty scary area. And I just want to say, as always, I hope that I've made a difference in your personal and financial well being. Remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always, always listen.